toxic emotions because it's the time of year where we start our detoxes, right? Especially after the show weekend. Who ate a Dagwood dog? Oh, I'm the only honest person in church? Okay, that's all right, okay. Um, who ate some apophages? Ah, see, because I knew Jacqueline had had some, because I did too. I tried some. Anyway, we need to detox after the show. You need to detox after Christmas. So I thought, let's start the year and let's just have a bit of a detox of our emotions, because we can let emotions sort of fester for a bit, can't we, and not deal with them and they become toxic. Uh, so the first thing I talked about was worry, and, and we talked about why do we borrow from tomorrow's troubles uh, that may never come. Worry adds nothing to you. If anything, it actually robs you of your joy. And in God, there is fullness of joy in his presence. Uh, and that's what we need to seek out to deal with worry, is to, to uh, see, behold Jesus. The very song we're singing today, come and behold him. Look at him in awe, and worry falls away. Uh, fear is what I talked about last week. And uh, faith and fear cannot coexist. You can't be full of faith and full of fear at the same time. It's impossible. Uh, faith trumps fear every time. Not Donald Trump, it beats Trump. Trumps it uh, every time. Uh, and we flex our faith muscle the most when we behold Jesus. Do you think it's any coincidence we learn a new song today about beholding Jesus? Come and behold him. I think that song really sums up where I'm going with this series. We need more of Jesus in our lives. More Jesus, less worry. More Jesus, uh, less fear. So today, we're continuing this series. And I want to stress, being emotional is okay. Emotions are fine because we are emotional beings. You know, we have body, soul, and spirit. And we have a physical body, a soul, which is made up of our mind, will, and emotions, and then we have our spirit man. So the challenge that I'm presenting through this series is not to be ruled by our emotions. Some people allow the emotions to take over and therefore we act out according to how we're feeling rather than us taking hold of our emotions and making them submit to Christ. Uh, so the challenge is not to be ruled by our emotions but for us to rule our emotions under Jesus. And so today I'm talking about, and this is a big one, and I think... There are people in the room today that are going to be very blessed when we talk about discouragement. Who's ever felt discouraged? Everyone's hand should be up. <laughs> if you've never felt discouraged, I want what you're having. I think I say that every week, don't I? Who's ever been worried? We've all been worried. We've all had fear at some point in our life. And we've all faced discouragement or perhaps disappointment, which leads to you being discouraged. You know, many, if not most, if not all Christians will have struggled with discouragement, being let down, being disappointed, uh, whatever it is. So, what is discouragement? I'm glad you asked. It is to deprive of confidence, courage, hope, or spirit. So it takes it away. And it hampers you. That's the other thing. It hampers you. Discouragement hampers you or it deters you. It stops you in your tracks because you're too busy being discouraged and upset to move forward in life. So discouragement is like a pit stop that we're never meant to stop in. But it, that's what it does. It pulls you um, to the point of, of stopping and, and, and prevents. It's, it's to try to prevent by expressing disapproval or raising objections. Discouragement makes your mind work in that way. 
oh, well, I'm not going to go ahead with that now because I got let down that time, so why would I try again? That kind of thing. So, so what does it do? D- discouragement is like a hand that reaches into your heart. I think it was a Simpsons episode. Not that I want to confess that I've ever watched The Simpsons, but yes, I have. And, uh, and, and the hand goes in and takes the heart out. You won't be needing this anymore. Throws it away. I'm sure that was a Simpsons episode. I'm looking at people that would, might be able to help me. No, no, no. Yeah, okay, okay, good. So, it's like a hand that reaches in your heart, rips it out, and, and your courage and your confidence is gone. Just like that. There it is. Uh, it's one of the most dangerous things that can happen to a Christian. Discouragement is one of the most dangerous things that can happen to us. What causes discouragement? Well, severe loss. And perhaps all of us in the room at some point have experienced loss to different degrees. But this can be loss of your health, loss of a family member, loss of your job. You know, it can be severe mental or physical strain, burning the candle at both ends. Who's done that before? Who's doing it now? <laughs> Don't put your hands up. <laughs> it's all right, you can if you want, but we've got to be mindful of that because when you burn the candle at both ends, it's just a matter of time. It's a ticking time bomb. Uh, discouragement is uh, also um, caused by isolating yourself from others. And it's funny because it's like a trap. You get discouraged, you isolate, you get more discouraged because you're not hanging around other people, other believers that can help pick you up, lift you up, be there for you, all of that. Um, what about comparison in life? Who's ever compared themselves to someone else? You know, we begin to be- compare what we have or what we don't have, and then we get discouraged. Oh, why has that person got all this and that? Why do they get all the fortunate breaks in life? And you know, here I am working my butt off, and look at me, and you just get discouraged. Um, the enemy can hit us with a spirit of discouragement. It's actually from the enemy. There's external and internal causes that cause discouragement. You know, the devil was having a garage sale because. He needed to sell a few things. And all of his tools, all the tools that the devil has, were marked with different prices. They were a pretty fiendish lot, these tools. The tools were hatred, jealousy, deceit, lying, pride, all tools of the enemy. But over to the side of the, 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 the front yard on display was a tool more obviously worn than any of the other tools. It was also the most costly, had the most zeros after it. The tool was labelled discouragement. When questioned, the devil said, it's more useful to me than any other tool. When I can't bring down my victims with any of the rest of my tools that I have over here, being hatred, jealousy, deceit, lying and pride, uh, I use discouragement because so few people realise that it belongs to me. You know, we forget at times, particularly when we're in the middle of being discouraged, that that's actually from the enemy. It's a tool that the enemy uses to stop us in our tracks so that we can't progress any further because we're so discouraged and we're so upset we can't possibly move on in life. Make no mistake about it. Discouragement is a tool of the enemy and we're coming against it today in the name of Jesus. So I'm going to read from the book. Our main text today is from the book of 1 Kings, chapter 19, verses 1 to 19. And you can follow along on the screen. If you've got your Bibles, you might want to turn there. Uh, 1 Kings, chapter 19, verses 1 to 19. So it's about Elijah. Um, Elijah's just had, it's about you, Elijah. No, no, different Elijah. Elijah's just had this incredible uh, God moment where he's taken on the prophets of Baal. And he's, with God's help, they defeated them. Like there's hundreds of them and there's one Elijah. And many of us would know the account where 
you know, they, they put the sacrifice and, and they pour water on the sacrifice. And whichever God answers by fire is the true God. And so being a gentleman, he allows the prophets of Baal to go first. And they're chanting and cutting and hollering and whatever they're doing, making fools of themselves, and no fire comes down from heaven. But then Elijah just gets up and says, my God is the true God, and fire from heaven comes down. He makes them put more water on too, just in case there was any doubt. Let's drown the thing and still burn it. So he's had this big victory, and so he's excited. But then all of a sudden, some bad news comes, and how quickly the tables turn. So let's, let's pick up the account, starting at verse 1 in chapter 19 of 1 Kings. It says, When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. Now, what's with that? He just conquered all of these prophets of Baal, fire from heaven. All of this stuff just happened, this great stuff. God is at work in his life. He's one of the greatest prophets in the history of prophets. And he gets one bit of bad news. They're coming to kill me and I'm out of here. I think some of us could possibly relate. Where things have been going great in our lives. Things have been awesome. God's so good. But then something's taken from us. Something bad happens. And, And I'm not downplaying the significance of whatever that thing is for you. But what I am saying is that the enemy can use that as a tool to push you down and keep you in the place where he wants you doing nothing for God. Let's keep going. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. Such a positive account. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Who said that to the Lord before? Don't put your hand on you. Or you can if you want. I've had enough of this. Take me home. I'm done. That's what he says. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. (laughs) In other words, stop stuffing around. Get up. Have something to eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank, and he lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength, strength to travel 40 days. That's some feast he ate, eh? 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night, but the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Like, seriously? You're my prophet. You've done all these miracles, and here you are hiding in a cave. What's with that? Anybody got time for that? (laughs) Elijah replied, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. Oh, poor me. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast 
that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? (laughs) Bit of a circle, right? He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Then the Lord told him, Go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Snapchat, I don't know, Shatat, from the town of Abel-Mahola to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Hazael will be killed by Jehu and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shatat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. So, Elijah's had a mountaintop experience with God. Fire coming down across the sky and on the sacrifice when he he defeated the prophets of Baal. Revival's broken out in the nation. And now he receives some negative news from Jezebel. And Elijah runs away. Let's talk today about how discouragement sets in. Because I think it's important. If we understand how it sets in, we can understand how to combat it and how to have victory over it in Jesus' name. I just believe there are people in this place that are going to be set free from discouragement. People online watching at home, something's happened in your life and you're discouraged and you've never quite been able to shake it. Well, your miracle is today. Because God says you can defeat discouragement. Turn your eyes upon me. Behold me. Behold me and you can overcome discouragement. So the enemy sends a messenger. There's always a messenger. There's always someone with a story or someone with a... Someone comes as a messenger. Verse 2 of 1 Kings 19. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I've not killed you just as you killed them. So there's a messenger bringing negativity. Elijah's life is threatened with death. That's pretty negative, isn't it? (laughs) Worry and fear set in. And we've talked about those two ugly little cousins that sit at the far end of the table at at the dinner. That's worry and fear. And they set in and they want him to believe that his life is over and there's no one that can help him. See, worry and fear want to trap you so that you can then find yourself in the position of discouragement where you can't move forward at all because you're just stuck in that place. Elijah let the the condoning message get into his spirit. That's what happened here. The message came and he let it get in. See, if he had taken a stand there and go, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus... That message is not true because I'm God's prophet. I'm anointed, I'm protected, and there's no way anyone's getting their hands on me. If he had done that, that would have been the end of it. 
But instead, he let that message sink into his spirit. Worry and fear set in. So the message gets into the spirit, which brings about fear that leads to discouragement. So we've got to understand that the enemy will send messengers to us. Possibly even daily. (laughs) I don't know. But you'll get messengers coming to you with news and you've got to choose how you're going to accept or not accept or deal with those messages that they bring. The messengers of the enemy are sent to bring you into a place of fear, doubt, unbelief, and then that leads to discouragement. You get to that place where you're stuck. And it's important for us to filter every messenger to find out the source. Where's the message actually coming from? Is this from God? Or is this just someone who's got a bee in their bonnet that wants ill things to happen for me? You've got to discern the message. Don't just take, let it, have your guard up. Don't let it just come into your spirit without first discerning. God, is this you? Or is this just a, get behind me? You know, here are some messengers. Uh, The message comes that you've lost your job. So you've got a choice how you respond to that. Well, that's pretty full on, losing your job. Absolutely. Um, And I don't want to be sexist here, but particularly men, I guess we're geared as providers. And and if we lose our job, it's like, well, how am I going to provide for my family? Now, that's not not acknowledging women who work and provide to the household as well. So don't send me emails and text messages and letters and protest. But you've got a choice. Either your life is now ruined because I've lost my job or God will provide me something better. Which, which message are we going to believe? What are we going to take on board and allow into our spirit when and if that ever happens to us? What about sickness? Some Christians struggle with sickness. Oh, but I'm a child of God. I should be protected from... You know, we're in a fallen, broken world and stuff's going to happen. Bad stuff happens to good people. But sickness, oh, my life is ruined because I'm sick. And, and that's different degrees of sickness. You might have the common cold. You might have man flu. And that's, we all know that's very serious. You, absolutely. Or, you, you know, you could have terminal cancer. Is our life ruined? Or are we going to just trust God that he's going to bring us through? It's a choice we've got to make, isn't it? The choice that we make will determine if we let discouragement in or not. What about a broken relationship? Is your heart broken and depressed and my life is over? Or are you going to now pour your heart out to God and allow him to heal the broken heart that you have? It's a choice. We can camp in this place and be discouraged and not achieve anything in life because we're hurt and broken. Or we can invest our time into seeking God and allowing him to come and heal our broken heart. You know, when I was young, I was young once. <laughs> still got a, I've got a baby face. Come on, I'm still, I'm still young. But when I was in my early twenties, um, I didn't do girlfriends at school and stuff. So I only had two girlfriends before Anita, uh, and Anita's the creme de la creme. Uh, but my second girlfriend, I had in my early twenties, and for about three years we were together. But our lives all of a sudden were taking different directions. I, I was, I'd finished uni and I wanted to do Bible college and just go for it. Whereas this girl was like kind of moving away from the church scene. So our lives were taking different directions. And so we had to part ways. That was hard. When you're with someone for three years, I know 
I know people that have been with someone much longer and had to part, and it's much harder, but that's my experience. Um, but man, did discouragement set in. Like, I knew in my head it was the right thing to do because I wanted to go for God and she didn't. So I knew it was the right thing to do, but I was discouraged. You know, my heart was broken because that void had been filled by that person for three years. I ended up living the single life for six years before I met Anita. That's even harder, especially in your 20s. All your friends are getting married. They're starting to have babies, you know. You start to feel like you're left on the shelf. <laughs> All of these things, you know, you, you do. Those are the things that go through your mind when you're in your 20s and you haven't got that special someone or whatever, and it's hard. So I did that for six years, but in that six years, I just made a decision. You know what? I'm not going to chase to fill that void with another girl. I'm going to chase God. I pursued God. I served him. You know, I clocked up that many volunteer hours in my church. I just did everything from being a youth leader, to being on worship team, to being at a small group, to doing Bible college, to, you know, I don't think there was a day that I wasn't doing something. And some would say, oh, well, you made yourself busy, so you weren't there. Well, you can look at it like that. I'd look at it as I just pursued God. I just, anything that needed doing church-related, I was at, and I did it. Because when you're that age and you're not married, you don't have that commitment, you've got the time, haven't you? You're time rich. So, so I did all of that. And then at the right time at the right place, and I won't share the whole story today for the sake of time, but Anita came along, right at the right time, right at the, I, I basically, uh, and I don't suggest we do this, but I, I did, I gave God an ultimatum, you know, I was considering going overseas at the time uh, to serve in a church over in England, I had that opportunity, and I just said, God, the only thing that would keep me here is if you were to bring my bride, whoever that is, didn't even know Anita when I said this prayer. And literally, she came into my life right at the right time, didn't go overseas. Here I am, serving in Stanthorpe now, praise the Lord. So, it's up to us how we handle the message. I'd be lying if I said discouragement didn't set in. It did set in when I lost my second girlfriend. I was very discouraged for a while, very inward, insular, stayed at home. But I had to make a choice. I could have camped there or I could move on. And eventually, and you need time to heal. I'm not saying this happens like that. It took time. And no one can tell you how much time it'll take either because it's different for everybody. You can't say, oh, they should be over it by now. Well, no. <laughs> what do you know? Have you been through what they've been through? And even if you have, are you that person? No. We're all different. So don't ever badger someone for, oh, surely you're over it by now. Come on, don't ever do that. Don't be that person. Because that's the person that the discouraged person wants to punch in the face. All right, so don't do that. All right, don't do that. <laughs> All right, the enemy sends a messenger. <laughs> Sorry. Just saying the truth. Anyway, the enemy sends a messenger. The second thing, Elijah ran away from the enemy instead of running to God. That's important. Catch that. So he ran away from the enemy, yes. So that's, that's a good thing in that sense, but... He didn't run to God. He ran to hide. 19, chapter 19, verse 3 in 1 Kings. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Elijah saw a problem and ran away. A big, scary problem, like that big hand. That's how we see the problem, isn't it? It's coming for me. I'm going to be discouraged and I'm going to go and hide. The message created a picture in his mind. 
So, so nothing had actually happened. A messenger came, gave the message, I'm going to kill you, but nothing had happened. It's just words. But he chose to make a picture in his mind of how this is going to play out, so he ran. It wasn't just words, but there was a spirit behind it as well. And we've talked about that already. Already, It's the enemy. The enemy comes to discovering discouragement. It caused his imagination to run wild as to what could happen. You almost convince yourself in discouragement sometimes, into that. Uh, because you play it out in your mind. Oh, well, if she's going to kill me, well, that means if I stay here, she's going to send an army and all these people are going to come and they're going to find me and then they're going to probably stone me or hang me or put me on a cross or whatever it is. And all of this stuff plays over in your mind. I'm sure we've all been there. You, you know, when you hear some bad news, but as you think it over, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. The more you focus on it, the bigger it gets. Yet nothing's happened yet. There's some news and, and, we, and we play it over in our mind and it gets bigger. The battleground is in the mind and the hearts of every believer. That's where the battleground is. And we've got to learn to deal with discouragement in our mind and in our heart to help overcome it. We can't do it in our own strength. We need God. We need God's help. So we've got to learn not to run away from the enemy, but run to God. It's amazing in my time as a Christian since I was 17 years old, and now I'm only 30. No, not really. 44. 44. So 23. 27 years I've been a Christian. How many people I've known or seen that have run away when hard times come? And the church of God is here for them. And it's the most frustrating thing that you'll ever see. I mean, you see it too, but when, when all you want to do is reach out and help and hug and just be there, you don't have the answer, but you just want to be there and support and do all that, but they're not there for whatever reason. Discouragement has set in and they stay home. It's because the battleground is in the mind and the heart and we've got to overcome that. Like you've got to be brave to, to come to church when you're in the midst of a crisis because... The last thing you want is everybody asking you, oh, what's happening with this or how are you going with that? And it's scary to consider having to answer those questions when you're in the middle of something. But we've got to learn not to run away from the enemy but run to God and God is here. I mean, God's everywhere but, but he's here. The corporate gathering, there's just something powerful. You know, when we closed down last year because of COVID, how good it was to finally get back here. You don't realise what you miss until it's taken away. And like... You know, today we've got close to 70, I would think, in here almost. You know, we're getting there. Um, before COVID, we probably have, you know, 80 to 100, including kids. Our first meeting back was with 32 people. But man, was it the best meeting I'd ever been part of in I don't know how long. Because we got to be together again. And it was so cool to be gathered together in unity. But discouragement sets in when you're running away from the enemy. Discouragement can set in. When you allow the vain imaginations to take control, the things that are going on in your mind, and it prevents you from coming to a place like this because of what's going on up here. You know, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verses 3 and 5 says this We are human, <laughs> but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. 
We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. That's our challenge when we're going through a hard time. Are we going to listen to the words of Christ and follow them? It's a challenge when you're in the middle of something significant. We've been through our own fair share, Anita and I, of things since we've been here. And we've had to make choices along the way that we're not going to allow discouragement to set in and rule us and control us. And I can tell you, it's hard. It's hard when things are going tough. But we've got to learn to see victory and not defeat. It's normal to see bad news come into your world through a messenger or whatever, however it comes, and to feel defeated. That's a fleshly thing. But a faith thing is to see the victory. And it takes time to get to that place. And again, there's no time frame. Well, a few days you should be over it. No. It's a journey to that position of faith. As Christians, we've got to understand that we win. We've already won. And it's easy to say that now when things aren't going chaotic and crazy, but when trouble comes and discouragement is trying to set in, we need to try and still stand firm in our faith and say, you know what, everything's looking dark right now, everything's looking miserable and terrible, but I'm a winner because of what Christ has done. He's gone before me. And no no matter what, we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to conquer even this challenge in Jesus' name. So the enemy, he sends a messenger to give you bad news. And then we've got a choice. Do we run away from that enemy instead of running to God or do we run to God? Here's the next thing that Elijah did, and this is how discouragement sets in. Elijah isolated himself. This is huge. This is the big one. Because when you isolate yourself, you practically can't be helped. And when I say isolate, I mean you're not here. You're not answering pastor's calls or responding to pastor's text messages because you're just in that place of discouragement. You're isolating everybody out. And my question is, how are you ever getting out of that spot? It has to be God. God has to move on your heart. And so that's when the people of God, when you're not here, we're praying for you. That the Holy Spirit would come and restore your heart, begin that process so that you could be brave enough to step out of your door and step into a place like this and and face people. It's hard when you're going through a hard time. You don't want to answer any questions. You don't want to. And you know what? You might come here for church and then disappear straight after because you don't want to mingle. That's okay. The point is is that you come because then you're in the atmosphere of faith and little by little, God is going to bring you through that place called discouragement and leave it behind and take you to that place of faith again but it's a journey it takes time Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life so he isolated himself Elijah left his servant and he was all alone so that's exactly what he did he made the biggest mistake by isolating himself from everyone else you know his servant was there to serve him take care of him Give him a different perspective. Is that not what the house of God is for? All of us people here, if you're going through a hard time, we can bring a fresh perspective. We can bring encouragement, speak those words to lift you up from that place that's down so low. But if you're not here, if you're isolated and you're not part of what's going on here, it's so much harder. Yet it's the first thing that we all do. We're challenged with that, aren't we? Something bad's happened, so I'm going to just stay away. 
when it's the total opposite is what's best for you. Elijah started praying, you know, I call them funky prayers. Not funky as in cool funky, funky as in (laughs) stinky prayers. You know, I want to die, I want to end it all. Take me, God. You know, they're funky prayers. Remember that isolation leads to insulation, which then can lead to desolation. It's a lot of Asian words. (laughs) I'll say it again. Isolation, hiding yourself away, leads to insulation. It's all about me and how I'm feeling, and I'm just so upset and hurt, I just want to hide. Uh, And it can lead to desolation. You know, we must remember that discouragement wants to isolate us. Right back to my story of the devil having the garage sale. It's a tool of the devil, discouragement. He wants to discourage you so that you isolate yourself, so that you can't do anything for the kingdom. He's taken you down because you're not doing a thing, because you can't. Because you're in that place, that stuck place of, uh, of discouragement. Most of the time when I find someone isolated, discouragement is not far behind them. It's generally why people isolate, unless it's government-mandated COVID isolation. Um, so, one of the tricks of the enemy is isolating believers from the church. It's actually his plan. He knows that we're better together. We're stronger together. We can encourage each other. We can lift each other up. He knows that. So he doesn't want you here. And that's why discouragement makes you make that choice to stay home because the enemy doesn't want you here. That's why it's a tool of the enemy. Discouragement will gain a place in your life when you isolate yourself from other believers. It sets in. It's what it does. It's how it works. So the enemy sends a messenger and then we choose to run away or uh, from the enemy or run to God. Uh, and then we isolate ourselves that leads to discouragement well what i want to talk about now is how to live free from discouragement this is the moment we've been waiting for anyone that's ever felt discouraged this is important this is key just listen to this point if you haven't taken anything into this point the first thing is you must get rest and eat right you might be like oh that's biblical well of course it is elijah got rest and ate some food the angel told him sleep and eat Not once, but twice. I know, eating it particularly, right? Praise the Lord. Eating is a good thing. Not comfort eating, people. That's a whole other sermon and deal with that. But you've got to rest and eat right. Physical and spiritual nourishment. You need it. Uh, 1 Kings 19 verses 5 to 7. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But he was sleeping and an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. Um, So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more. Or the journey ahead will be too much for you. If you're not eating right, I'm telling you, the journey ahead of you is too much for you. Look at your nutrition, the kind of things that you're consuming yourself with. You know, when when you're discouraged... You go for the, the, the tub of ice cream or the, <laughs> you know, you know what I'm talking about. There's nervous laughter happening in the room from some people. Um, or you go for the chocolate or you go for the chips or you go for whatever. But think about your nutrition. I'm not saying don't eat those things. I like those things too. But all in uh, control and measure, right? <laughs> look at what your diet is and then look at your sleeping patterns. I guarantee you if you're getting three hours sleep a night, you're not going to be ready for the journey that's ahead of you 
you need to monitor your sleep patterns as well. Um, and they say seven to eight hours sleep a night. Now everyone's giggling because they're like, yeah, like I ever get that. How do we plan our lives? How do we, what do we prioritise? Do we want to make the long haul? Like Anita and I are committed here for the long haul. We're not going anywhere. I hope you no one's got any ideas of turfing us out because we love it. Uh, but we want to be here for the long haul, which means we want to serve for the long haul, which means we need to live our life in a way that we don't burn out. And so we plan our holidays like we plan everything else. We go away on purpose because we need that, um, you know, re- refreshing. And, and do you do the same thing? I talk to some people, some professionals, um, and, and they're like, well, this is the first family holiday we've had in two years. I'm thinking, don't let that happen. I know life's busy. I know stuff's important. I know you've got to be there for your family. But you know what? If you don't look after yourself, you're no help to anybody. Plan your life, your relaxation, your resting, like you do anything else. And make sure you do it. That's the important thing. Switch off. Turn off your phones. Don't. That's why I said, I know I joked about it, but we went away for two weeks at Christmas. I said, no marriage breakdowns, no relationships playing up, no trouble, no infighting until we get back. Because <laughs> I don't want to deal with that when I'm on holidays. I haven't got time for that. Got to, got to, got to swim in the pool. So... You get my point, right? Plan how you live. Plan your sleep. Plan your diet, things that you're eating. You've got to understand that there's a rhythm to life. There's a rhythm. And if you break the rhythm, it's like the people that clap on one and three. I can't stand that. Can you stand that? I'm a musician. So, you know, people that clap on one, one, two, three, four. That's wrong. Three, four. It's got to be one, two, three. You clap on the snare, right, Mappa? You're with me, right? You're a muso too. Uh, so there's a rhythm, and we need to follow the rhythm. Even God rested on the seventh day. Do you think if it's good enough for God to rest, maybe we need to consider our rest as well? And then he ate some supernatural food to keep him going. You know, the bread was provided by the Lord, and that kept him going. Make sure you're, make sure you're reading the word. Make sure you're nourishing yourself spiritually through this journey of discouragement as well. And then you've got to get to the place of God's manifested presence. Get to the place where his presence is. And you know, like his presence is here. Don't stay away from here when times are tough. Come here. We're here for you. Uh, 1 Kings 19 verse 8 says, So he got up, ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, the place where God's presence was. That's why he went there. There's such importance and value in the local church. You know, Elijah went to the mountain of God, Mount Sinai. Elijah knew there was something about that place, a place where he could meet with God because his presence was there. His presence is here. You know, I love it when we worship together as a church. His presence is so tangible. And that's the one thing I think, you know, I love preaching the word and that sort of thing. But when we got back together, again, those 32 people that were here on our first service after lockdown, and we got to worship, and oh my goodness, it was like the heaven sent choirs of angels to be in the room. I don't know who was here that day, but the first day back, it was just incredible. But his presence is here, yet we flee here when things are tough. We have to run to our Mount Sinai. We have to run to our house of God, the place where we know that we know that we know that his presence is. 
Here's the point. We must get it settled in our spirits that the local church is a vital part of our walk with God. And there are too many Christians out there that have ratified in their mind and spiritualized it and misinterpreted scripture to say, well, we don't need to be in the church. We can just have our own little gatherings and and, and not commune together with with the believers. We can just do our own thing our own way. And uh, they need a revelation about the local church and why it's here. You've got to have a dialogue with God, not just a monologue. This is important too. Monologue is one way. Dialogue is both ways. So 1 Kings 19 verse 9 says, Then there he came to a cave where he spent the night, but the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? You know, the first time Elijah prayed, it was a monologue. He poured out his heart, which was good, but he didn't take time to listen. That's why God came back a second time and said, what are you doing here? Then Elijah was having a dialogue with God about his life. It wasn't just a whinge, but it was just a, here are the facts, God. And, and, but then he was listening and then God sent him. You know, you've got to learn to have a communication with God, a conversation, not just a, God, this, that, and the other, and all of this, and do something, and just walk away. <laughs> that's, that's not a dialogue. That's just a whinge. <laughs> We've got to listen to the voice of God in the times of discouragement because that's what's going to nourish you. That's what's going to breathe life back into you, the very word of God. And for that matter, you've got to learn uh, to base your life on the word of God. GPD. Uh, I don't know, someone make something up, there's a typo. but <laughs> God's powerful dominion. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> base your life on the word of God. 1 Kings 19, verses 12 to 13. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And then the dialogue began. We need to be hearers and doers of the word of God. Don't say to me, oh, but I don't hear the audible voice of God. No, but you can pick up his word and read it. <laughs> and it's right there. Hear and do. Elijah heard the still small voice and he responded. You know, God doesn't always show up in the miraculous, but he always, always speaks through his word. Always. You might not have seen the big writing in the clouds or the big audible voice or the image of the hand touching your lips. You might not have seen any of that, but you can open up his word and be inspired. Elijah reverenced the word of God. Discouragement will leave when you reverence the word of God because faith and discouragement, faith and fear, faith and worry, they can't coexist. So faith gets stirred up when you read his word. We've got to understand the bigger picture that God is in control. He is in control. Elijah told the plan of God. God assures Elijah that he's in control. I got this. Go to this place and go there. Follow my leading. Not your. Don't run from the enemy and hide in a cave and be useless for the rest of your life. Listen to my voice. And go this way. We've got to get involved in the relationship of faith. And that's what's attacked when we're discouraged. 
because the relationship is cut off, because we find ourselves stuck in that place where we can't move forward. Our faith journey has pause pressed on it, and it doesn't expand or increase or go any further from that point until we decide to start taking steps again and reintroduce ourselves to the community. Elijah went and found Elisha's son of Shaphat ploughing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field and Elisha was ploughing with the 12th team. You see, Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. That was Elijah's moment to connect with someone again and follow God's leading. He said to go and bless, anoint Elisha. So Elijah began to get involved in other people's lives again. Elijah was no longer navel-gazing in the cave, but went out to touch someone else because God told him to. He finally made a decision to listen to God's words. You know, we've got to get involved in other people's lives. And the best way you can do that is connecting in small groups, whether it's a prayer meeting at your house or, or a Bible study that Anita runs on a Tuesday night or the ladies that come here on a Wednesday um, or even connecting with our evangelism course. They're going to be great little groups uh, for a term just to sharpen our evangelism gift and be able to share Jesus with others in, in a non-confrontational, uh, spooky way. It's, it's, it's a simple, easy, relaxed method that's going to help you naturally share Jesus, not freak people out, <laughs> hit them over the head with the Bible, stand on a podium, repent or burn. It's not that. Dr. Carl Menninger was an American psychiatrist and he gave a lecture on mental health. And he was answering questions from the audience and some said, what would you advise a person to do if that person felt a nervous breakdown coming on, which is leading them to a place of discouragement? And most people thought he would say, go see a psychiatrist immediately. But he didn't say that. To their astonishment, Dr. Manager replied, lock up your house, go across the railroad tracks, find somebody in need and help that person. To overcome discouragement, we can't focus on ourselves. But if we get involved in the lives of other people and helping others, you'll be amazed at what that does to you. It lifts you up because you feel a sense of value again, a sense of, well, I've got something to contribute. You know, I've had this hard journey and this terrible stuff has happened in my life, but God can still use me to make a difference in people's lives. So don't lock yourself away and isolate, but resist that temptation and get out there and do something for someone. Get involved in someone's life. Help them out in some way. Because that's the best way to overcome discouragement. It takes your eyes off of the navel gazing, looking at yourself, and you start helping other people. God wants to use you powerfully. Don't think because you've had this terrible experience that you can no longer be used by God. You know, Jeremiah 29, 11 doesn't change when something bad happens to you. God knows the plans that he has for you, plans for good and not for evil, to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope. That never changes. Why? Because God never changes. We change. So let me encourage you, those of you that are discouraged, there's a pathway out of your position right now. And it's called Jesus. Let's come to a close. You can live free from discouragement thanks to Jesus. You need to have a relationship of faith 
Don't let your relationship with God be hindered because of bad stuff happening. We've shared it over the last, this is the third message now, but bad stuff happens to good people, bad stuff happens to bad people, and every person in between. Bad stuff happens. It's going to come. We're in a fallen, broken world. The minute we become a Christian doesn't make life perfect. We wish it did. But the only perfection will be when we're in glory, when Jesus comes again and we all go and meet him in the clouds. And, and then that's when that exciting, awesome life begins. But while we're part of this broken, fallen world, stuff is going to happen. And you've got to have a relationship of faith. You've got to trust in Jesus. I can't implore you enough to look to Jesus. You've got to put others ahead of yourself. And like we said, to distract you, to take your mind off of the things that have, you've gone through that have brought you down, go out of your way to help someone and it's going to lift you up because you're going to feel so good to make a positive difference in someone else's life. And you've got to access God's presence. Don't run away from church, please. We're here for you. This is the safest, most amazing place you could be, yet this is the place we try to run away from when we're discouraged. Come to this place. It's not because of numbers on seats. You know, if this place is packed, stoked. If this place has 32 when we come back from COVID, stoked. It's not about that. It's about you not missing out on God's presence and God's people together in fellowship. We're here to lift you up. We're here to help. We're here to, you know, we're a team. Football team, right? We lift each other up. <laughs> we back each other up. They're not a football team. I should stop teasing them. <laughs> the Church of Christ is here to be a blessing to you in your most difficult time. So please, don't run away from it when the things of life get tough. There's a place for you here because this is a place for family. Would you bow your heads? Father God, I thank you for your church. I thank you that we can come into your presence and we can behold your goodness, your mercy and your love. I just pray for people right now that are feeling discouraged, that life's dealt terrible blows, maybe recently, maybe in the past, but there's discouragement. I just pray, Father God, that through this message today, you've touched people's hearts and you've let them know it's a tool of the enemy and it's to be overcome in the name of Jesus. And God, you've gone before us and won the victory. And so no matter what happens to us, we know that we're your children. You are our God and you will lead us through this place called discouragement. So I pray for people today, Lord, that you would loose them from the stronghold of discouragement. Loose them from fear. Loose them from worry right now. Lord, take hold of our spirit right now, our spirit man, and shake us up. Remind us, God, of your goodness. Lord, despite feeling discouraged, remind us, God, that you are for us and not against us and that the victory is won already in the name of Jesus. We are more than conquerors in the name of Jesus and we will overcome this overwhelming sensation and feeling that we have right now of disappointment, disillusionment, discouragement. Father, we thank you that the victory is yours. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, that's the key to become free from discouragement. So if you're in this place today or if you're at home online and you're watching this, I want you right now in God's presence just to lift up your hand and say, Pastor Jeremy, pray for me. 
I need your prayers. I need to reconnect again with my Lord and Savior, Jesus, because I need to be set free from worry, set free from fear. And, and what we've talked about today, set free from discouragement. If that's you, I want to pray for you. And uh, I'll pray for you where you are in your seat. We're not going to drag you out, but we want to pray for you. So just if that's you, just lift up your hand. Yeah, I see that hand. That's great. Yep. Yeah, I see that hand too. Yep. 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 No, I see that hand. That's great. Fantastic. Wonderful. Many people just lifted their hand. So I want to pray with you for Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. You might have done that before, and that's okay. But we're going to do it today. And just something I believe is going to shift in your position of discouragement or hurt right now when you reaffirm your faith in Jesus. So can we all pray this together? The people that lifted their hands, but everyone pray this with me. Say, dear Jesus, I surrender all. I surrender my life, my discouragement, my fear, my worry, my hurt. I surrender it to you right now. I thank you that you came and died for me so that I could be set free from all those things. So right now I choose you to be my Lord and Saviour. Lord, I live for you. I'm no longer bound by these chains. You have made me free. And I will serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can we praise God and thank him? People have been set free today. Hallelujah. 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 Now someone said to me we should sing a song at the end. But we're out of time. But we can sing the chorus, right? Do we need instruments? Come 